That's right. You don't have the bandwidth and it's it's human nature to not deal with things that aren't on fire. (laughs) You know, it's like, because you are juggling so many things and that thing that's there, that's looming in the background that you, you know, is coming, you know, is an issue, you know, it's something you're going to have to deal with. It's just not today's problem. There's no way around it. Caring for a loved one with dementia is not for the faint of heart. We don't know what we don't know, and often families focus so much on the person with dementia that they forget to keep their eyes on the family member managing care, which can be catastrophic. In this podcast, we'll help you become more proactive and remind you to focus on yourself. We will share challenges and wins and guidance from professionals at every step in the journey of caring for a loved one with Alzheimer's and other dementias. Welcome to the Eye on the Caregiver podcast. I'm thrilled to have my friend Pam Reynolds with us today. Pam is a passionate advocate for older adults and through her own life experiences has dedicated herself to making a difference in the lives of older adults and their caregivers. Pam is joining us today to talk about her new book, Caregiving with Confidence, Take the Guesswork Out of Caregiving. Pam, thanks for joining us. Thank you both so much for having me back. It's an honor to be here and to continue collaborating with you guys. Uh, we appreciate it. We, we always love talking to you. So, you know, as you know, right, we work with families caring for loved ones with dementia. And while your book is not really specific only to caregiving with someone with cognitive decline, it really is a wonderful resource for our community. So before we dive into your book, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey as a caregiver. Yeah, so... I started my initial introduction to caregiving was as a teenager, you know, my own family, really just walking alongside my dad as he was caring for my grandmother who who did have Alzheimer's and also my aunt. Um, she was a registered nurse. And so the, between the two of them, they were doing the best they could to support her um, as long as they, they were able to in her home. And then ultimately she ended up going to a a memory care specific community. Um, so, you know, at that time, I really had very little knowledge or really no knowledge about Alzheimer's or dementia at all. And so just just watching them walk through that process very um, lovingly, but very unprepared <laughs> and just not knowing what they didn't know. Right. And so it was um you know, it was a really difficult time and it was very stressful on, on them and on our family. And I just remember, um, feeling like, you know, there should be more resources. There should be more education. There should, should be more, um, ways for families to, you know, learn what they need to know to go through this experience. So, so that was really, um, it made a big impact on me just early on in my life. And I wanted to get into this field of, of helping families like mine. And so, um, you know, went to college for social work, ended up getting into the senior living um, community um, career. I worked as a social worker in a nursing home to start, um, ended up going through kind of the whole process of learning all the different roles in senior living communities and went through the administrator and training process and ultimately became, um, you know, credentialed to, to run a facility like that. And I, I did that for a number of years, um, particularly interested in the, the memory care side of things. So, um, so that was the type of community that I, that I ran. And so 
after that, um, I, I worked in that that field for about 10 years and then decided I wanted to help people stay at home. You know, that was my the my family's ultimate goal with my grandmother, and we weren't able to make it make it work. So um, started a home healthcare company um, shortly, you know, after that, and really just tried to empower um, aging adults and their their family caregivers to keep their aging loved one at home. Because I would find that when I was working in senior living, pretty much every move in, the conversation was, well, we'd keep her at home if we could, you know, or we'd keep that at home if we could. Um, and so I just decided, you know, I, I wanted to try and shift my career into helping people stay at home. And so I um, started a home health care company. I, I operated that for about, owned and operated that for about eight years and then sold it to a, um, a hedge fund in 2019 and worked worked for them after that through the transition for about a year. Um, and then <laughs> decided again to kind of pivot um, and, and get into the legal side of things. So um, started exploring, you know, the possibility of a career change into estate and elder law planning. Um, and now I'm continuing to pursue that path. And I'm going into um, law school this this fall to pursue that um, that career path. So ultimately, I, I look back, you know, and it's like with each step, I have pivoted towards how I could, um, how I thought I could, I could best serve the aging uh, population. And the book is no different, right? It's just, I wanted to reach a broader audience with the information that I know can help them and make a greater impact on the lives of caregivers. So Sean, you know, um, Sean, our first experience into dementia was really with our grandmother. And Sean kind of shares a similar story as you, Sean, being younger and sort of witnessing through the eyes of your parents. Um, because I was already out of the house and moved away. So I didn't experience that in the same way that um, Sean did. Yeah, it was a, it was an in interesting experience, right? Um, again, because I wasn't really the primary caregiver. My mom was. And, and you know, and... Um, our grandmother was a very different uh, dementia patient, you know, cognitively and, and emotionally, and was very hard, uh, especially on my mom. And uh, so, you know, you get to experience, you know, all the good things, but you also get firsthand, you know, view of all the all the bad things that went on and how tough it was, and how tough it was on on our mom and and ultimately their, my mom and my dad, right? And um, and really kind of laid the groundwork for where our dad ended up, you know, when he got diagnosed and mentally how he, he dealt with it, um, through depression and things like that. But, um, yeah, so very, very similar, um, uh, experience for us. Pam, we love your book and we love that it focuses on all things that caregivers need to think about in like a very succinct and actionable way. I think, you know, what, what struck me is what we find with caregiving is so many times the caregivers primary focus is managing the disease, right? So if you're caring for someone with dementia, 100% of their focus starts to become the Alzheimer's or the dementia. And they kind of lose sight of the big picture and the responsibilities and the roles that they're, and the hats are going to have to wear over throughout this journey. And um, I really, you do such a great job about laying out the many layers of caregiving from financial to legal to social to self-care. Um, we really, we really like that. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that because 
really what you say is exactly what my goal was for writing the book. You know, um, families will say, I wish there was a handbook that just gave me everything I need, that just walked me through everything I need to know. And so this book is a tool that I, I, I wish my family would have had when we were caring for my grandmother many years ago. And I think caregivers are just so often functioning in a purely reactive mode. And so this book is designed to help them take a step back and really just get like a 30,000 you know, foot view of everything that being a caregiver encompasses. And I wanted to break it down, you know, into actionable steps so that they could, so it wouldn't be so overwhelming. Um, And, you know, the categories, as you said, I break it down into five primary key areas. And I encourage readers that even if you do find yourself in the midst of a crisis, which most people that we interact with, at least at the first step, it's they're coming to us because they're in a crisis and you have to jump in to the situation and just work with what you have you know, that's, you have to do the best with what's there. But once, once that fire is out, then you can take a step back and assess the situation as a whole and say, my gosh, like, okay, what are we getting into here? And, and just look at all those, those key areas and get better organized so that when the next crisis hits or the next, you know, situation arises, you'll be much more um, ready to handle it. So a couple of years ago, we spoke to you uh, on some legal things that caregivers should think about and what our community found very helpful so I really wanted to give caregivers, caregivers listening to this conversation to, to take away the notion that when we th- learn to think proactively, we can really manage this role in a much better way. And I'm sure in your career, I mean, you've got such a varying career now, <laughs> like, and I'm sure in your career, you've seen so, so many people who are dealing with crisis without prior planning. And I think that's one of the things we really love about your book is just, you know, you know, one thing Michelle and Michelle and I say almost every time we're on a podcast is, boy, I wish we knew that back then, you know, and for us, you know, that's what I think is really, you know, great about your book is just, you know, trying to get in front of this stuff before it, it you know, you get hit with it so you can at least kind of understand what's coming at you. Right. Yeah, that's right, Sean. I'm, I'm really a passionate advocate for pre-planning. And a few years ago, when we last talked, I was just embarking on that career pivot. I talked about, you know, getting into um, the estate and elder law side of things because, you know, I just over the course of 17, 18 years I worked in, in senior healthcare, I would just see the same crisis and the same scenarios play out over and over again. And so, you know, again, I look back and I, it just with each pivot I've had, I, I just, I'm trying to get further upstream and and help people kind of understand, um, you know, the direction things are headed and what they need to be looking for, that they need to be prepared for what is coming. And most people are miserably underprepared for long-term care. And I mean, truthfully, just, just the, no, no planning at all. It's just not something that nobody wants to talk about, aging and, and death. And I get it. These are not pleasant topics. They're not pleasant things to talk about. Um, But ignoring it means that their caregivers are going to be forced to step in and try to make sense of it all from scratch. And just the time and energy and money, not to mention strife, that can be saved. You know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? So, you know, it's, it's, it's just so important to have these conversations while everyone is, is capable of doing it. And, 
that's why I'm glad that people like you are using the platforms that you have to just get people talking. The better planning we do, the better outcomes everyone will have in the end. Yeah, I think going through the experience, right? And I know Michelle's, you know, got way more even firsthand experience than us. Is Michelle and I talk about this all the time. We, you know, we, um, I don't want to do to my kids what our parents did to us. You know? mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, probably the biggest thing was the moving, right? The constant, we moved them several yeah. times and, yeah. and every time was just a beat down, you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think there's ways that even us as parents, you know, knowing that, you know, we're going to end up in this, you know, most likely in a situation where we need care, um, can be more proactive ourselves and, and, Things like, you know, simplifying our lives, you know, legal matters, financial matters right. and things like that to kind of do a lot of the work so that our, you know, kids or, or the caregivers, you know, the future that, you know, know what to do and, and, and also understand, uh, also understand our intentions, right? And, I, mm-hmm. you know, we've talked to enough people in, you know, on, us, on this podcast is like, you know, you don't want to get into a situation where you're just guessing at intentions, you know? Yeah. And, one, it's really hard to do. And two, you also have a lot of family dynamics where people believe the intentions are different. And That's that uh, that doesn't really help anybody either. Yeah. You know, I, I tell people all the time that doing this type of planning is really a gift to your family. You know, it's it's we don't want to burden our family members and we don't want to talk about the unpleasant subjects or, you know, have the conversation of when I'm gone. You know, it just it doesn't feel warm, fuzzy, (laughs) but really it's a gift because you are preventing an extreme amount of heartache and confusion down the road. There's nothing worse than being put in a caregiving situation and truly feeling like you don't know, you don't know what the best choice is to make for your loved one. And so that's, I, I just think the, the, the stress that's relieved from doing this type of planning and having these conversations in advance is yeah it's a it's a true gift to our family members you know and that's making the assumption that the your you know your aging parents are in agreement of this right because that's assuming that the, they're they're all in agreement but unfortunately there's a lot of cases where mom and dad do not want to give up their their independence and they see they see sharing financial information with their adult children or sharing their wishes as like the end of their independence. And that creates a whole new layer that is so difficult to navigate. You know, one of my very best friends is dealing with this right now. And um, it is so painful to watch because mom and dad need full-time care. They don't think they need full-time care. They don't want full-time care. And therefore, they have no access to anything um, that will allow them to make any kind of decisions on their behalf. And they both have dementia in some form. So it's only going to get worse, right? And, you know, this type of planning is, um, it's just invaluable. Yeah. And I, I think it's just, you know, approaching it from the aspect of having a plan B and a plan C, right? Like we know, mom and dad, this is what you, you want to stay at home and you, you don't want to have, you know, don't want to go into a nursing home and you don't want to have care and you don't want to have all of these things, right? But, and we respect that and we're going to, honor that to the extent that we can, but let's just talk about plan B. Let's just talk about the what ifs, you know, what, what if something happens, one of you gets sick? Um, what, what would that look like? How would we handle that? You know? And I think 
just kind of approaching it from that that aspect of we don't we don't ever plan to to implement any of this or hope that we never need it. Um, but let's just talk about some alternative options in case we're not able to do you know what what it is that you ultimately what you really desire. So I know you know the one thing I want to put out there to the, our listeners. You know, most of our listeners are caring for someone with dementia, um, but I want to make sure to say that this book um, covers, it doesn't matter who you're caregiving for, even the age of who you're caregiving for the same, the same issues and planning, um, applies across the board. Right. Um, and so I appreciate that you do include a high level overview of dementia. However, that's, what's interesting, you know, to, to our audience. And, um, the, the one point that you make is a point that we try to make over and over again, that Alzheimer's is not a normal part of aging. So if you've got parents who are getting older, grandparents who are getting older, and you're seeing signs of cognitive decline, that's not something to ignore, right? And so I just want everyone to listen, and everyone who is listening, to, to um, really understand that when you're seeing cognitive decline in your older parent or your grandparent, please don't look the other way and just think, oh, they're just getting old. Or my grandmother did that and that's, and she was just old. Um, you know, maybe that is the case in its older age, uh, forgetfulness, but it could very well be something like Alzheimer's at a much earlier stage. The sooner you find out, the sooner you can become proactive and, and really follow the guidance that you're offering in your book. And it will be a far less difficult journey, um, if they do so. So I, I hope everyone who's listening you know, takes that and, and really, and, and hears that because we see it all the time. And we even see physicians telling families, oh, it's fine. They're just aging, you know? So if you're getting that message from the professionals, it doesn't, it's not super encouraging for you to seek, um, to seek a diagnosis or to seek further, you know, to dig a little bit deeper to see what you're really dealing with. Yeah. What, what you said is so true. I can't, count how many times I've heard that, you know, my mom's memory is slipping, but it isn't dementia, you know, it's just old age, you know, um, or she's senile, right? Like that word, <laughs> I hear the word all the time, like she's just senile, she doesn't have dementia, um, you know, but of course, I mean, caregivers don't know what they don't know. And like you said, they're following the lead of the primary care physician or whoever, you know, or just their, their loved one, just taking their word for it, right? That they've seen the doctor and everything is fine. And, you know, coming off of, of what Sean was saying a little while ago, I mean, this um, neglecting to do the, the pre-planning is dangerous because um, a lot of it has to be done in advance of cognitive de decline, right? And so when you don't do that, um, it, it makes everything so much harder. And it's a really timely subject with, we have National Healthcare Decisions Day coming up next week. Um, I think as we record this, it's next week. So I frequently talk to people who are looking to put their legal documents in place for their parent because the doc the doctor now says, okay, now we have a problem, right? Now you have to go get power of attorney because your mom has Alzheimer's and she's in, you know, whatever stage and they're panicking like, oh my gosh, like we didn't, you know, we didn't see this coming. And so it's too late, you know, by that time, there's no, you, <laughs> they're not, um, legally capable of putting these documents in place at that point. So you're looking at a much, as you say, like, as you point out, a much more difficult journey of, um, you know, seeking legal authority um, 
guardianship, conservatorship, all these much more complicated and expensive processes um, because it, you're waiting until the doctor's raising the red flag and saying, you know, now's the time. So it's all the time, all the time, Michelle, all the time we get these, these inquiries of, okay, you know, we're in this situation. We need the, we need the legal documents. It's too late, you know? So in the book, I do discuss high level, like the types of documents for both incapacity and estate planning. Of course, those vary depending on location and situation, but I think what's, what I find most important and what I highlight in the book is the empowerment pieces, right? The conversations, what do they need to know where things are, how things are, are set up, where do they bank, you know, what, where can they find the information that they need to empower them to act on their behalf once the time comes. And, and just also the importance of keeping things up to date, you know, the situation and the laws change. And, and so even if you have the documents, you know, it doesn't mean they're going to be effective when the time comes, right? You can't just do them and lock them up in a box and let them sit there for 10 years and then, and then expect them to actually be functional um, when the time comes. So all those things are, you know, it's, it's, it complicates things, but if you're planning ahead of time, much, much easier than waiting until the crisis hits. You know, Pam, in, in our community of caregivers, you know, we, we often see a lot of confusion around behaviors of people with dementia. And I know we experienced that, right? Like with, with our dad, he, he, um, he read a lot, like he was a big history buff and a big war buff. And, uh, he actually started telling stories like they were his, you know, from books and where he served in World War II, which he never served there. He served in World War II, but not in the Pacific. And he used to drive, you know, my mom crazy, you know, so families, you know, may know that their loved ones have Alzheimer's, but really can't get past those feelings that they're, that they may be acting out on purpose. And I, and I think, you know, I was guilty of that, you know, sometimes, I, you know, or sometimes like with, with dad, especially when he got first diagnosed and, you know, I tell people all the time, it's a, it's kind of a weird situation for me. This was my experience that trying to talk to dad for the first year and a half or so was really hard because he was super depressed and all he talked about was, you know, death and things like that. Um, and then he kind of became, I tell people he went into the Alzheimer's world, right? And then he kind of was happy, <laughs> uh, but then he couldn't, then he didn't remember us, you know? So it's kind of this really weird kind of journey that I went through. And I think Michelle went through something similar. Um, but I think that some people do believe, and, and I think our mom did that my dad was doing things on purpose and she would get very frustrated with him. Like, how do you not know that? You know, can you touch on this with your experience and, and what your, your advice might be for, you know, family members or caregivers that are dealing with this? Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> this was one of the biggest takeaways I had from my experience with my grandmother was that with, with my dad was that, you know, as I mentioned, she had Alzheimer's and my parents were divorced. Um, not that, not that long before, you know, this experience before my grandmother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's and, um, my, my grandmother, as she began to lose more of her memory, she forgot, you know, that I had been born. Right. And so, I would um, come with my dad to visit her and she thought I was my mom <laughs> because, I mean, it makes sense because I look like her and I'm coming to visit her with my dad. And so she, um, in my, in her mind, I, you know, that's who was visiting. And so um, it, my dad, he knew she had an Alzheimer's diagnosis, but 
he just didn't have a good understanding of, of what was going on. And um, he would get very, very angry because, of course, there was a lot of negative emotions around the divorce and, and around my mom and that relationship. And so for some reason, he thought my, my grandmother was doing that on purpose to kind of, you know, get a get a dig in I, I don't know, to, to just cause a, a problem. And, and that caused a lot of heartache for him. He just thought that she was being difficult. And, you know, I just I know that for me, being a teenager and not really understanding um, what was happening with her diagnosis, I, I didn't really have to understand. I just sensed that I shouldn't argue with her, you know, that, that there was no point in correcting her. Um, just, I just had to love her and show her affection, no matter who she thought I was. I was someone that she knew loved her and that she cared about. And my presence there was having a positive effect on her, regardless of, of who she thought I was. And so, um, you know, I couldn't really understand why my dad couldn't get his head wrapped around that. Um, but now looking back at it, I, I, I do get it. I understand there's a whole array of emotions that comes up with, with the caregiving situation and the dynamics and all of that. But um, I've seen similar things play out time and again in my professional experience. And I just think there's so much strife that can be avoided, just the more education that people receive on Alzheimer's and the educated, I mean, the associated behaviors with it, the easier time that they will have. And so that's why I do touch on this in the book and and try to give some simple tactics that people can try. None of them are a silver bullet, but, you know, um, there's maybe some some nuggets in there that that will work for your individual situation. Oh, I definitely think they would. And I, and I love it. You know, you're, what you're doing in your book is creating opportunities and, and to start conversations that they might not otherwise be thinking about. Right. So maybe it's, maybe it's too late for any given person who reads your book. Maybe, you know, a, a chapter on the behaviors might, they might be past that, but there's going to be a lot of people who aren't right. And just every time, you and and all of us who are in this world trying to help caregivers, you know, anytime you can get a conversation started and get people thinking about something before they need it is just the best, right? And that's what families, that's what families need. You know, that's what we needed. You know, you said it and we say it almost every single time we do a podcast. We we didn't know what we didn't know. And so you just deal with the day-to-day and what's happening today and you don't think, oh my gosh, what if this happens? You know, because you're not thinking that far in advance. And I really am seeing this through my friend right now, my whole life coming full circle, you know, and I think I've had conversations with her maybe as long as three years ago, kind of getting her to start thinking about certain things and, and here they are in the midst of a crisis and they really haven't been very proactive. And I was hoping that that wouldn't happen, you know, but I I don't like it. That is what it is, you know, because we are, we're stuck in the emotion. And for many of us caregivers, we're working full time. Maybe we're raising our own children while while our parents are showing signs of Alzheimer's or we don't live geographically close. Right. And so all of these things come into play with why it, 
it's a little bit difficult to be proactive or think about certain things because you just can't. You don't have the bandwidth to do all that. That's right. You don't have the bandwidth and it's human nature to not deal with things that aren't on fire. (laughs) You know, it's like, because you are juggling so many things and that thing that's there, that's looming in the background that you, you know is coming, you know is an issue, you know it's something you're going to have to deal with. It's just not today's problem. And so it's, that's, that's why, you know, people don't, in, in, in how people react to things, it doesn't really change. I mean, it doesn't really matter if you have seen it or you've got someone telling you, uh, unfortunately, it's just, it's just the way our, our human brains work. And so we do uh, wait until, you know, it is a crisis until we start to deal with it. But that's why I, I emphasize, you probably are going <laughs> to enter into this in a crisis because that's just, that's just the way it is. But once you put that fire out, then take a step back, you know, take that breather when you have some downtime to look at, at all the other pieces. Because once you get that taste of it, once you get that initial crisis, then you realize like how much can really go wrong. And most people just want to believe that, that you know, their loved one is, is going to be fine and live independently until their 90s and pass away quietly in their bed. And I hope that for everyone, but we we know the statistics are are that's very unrealistic. So, you know, I just think um, before you fall into the slippery slope and everything kind of snowballs, you know, um, and becomes an avalanche, like start when you, when you have that, that initial crisis, you know, to take a step back, look at all, everything else and, and just take it piece by piece. You know, it doesn't have to be all done at once. Yeah. And your book does such a good job at breaking it down to piece by piece. So that's why we, we really like it so much. I, I kind of want to ask a question. I know it's a big question and it kind of a loaded question, but in your experience, both personally and professionally, if, if you had like the number one obstacle that you think you see, what would you identify that? as? And I guess I'm talking in terms of dementia too, right? Like, so the caring for someone with dementia. Yeah. You know, I think it's surprising to people how difficult navigating the systems are, right? So both the financial and the medical um, establishments, I think, again, I'll sound like a broken record, but just being unprepared or underprepared when you, once you're thrust into those worlds that you really know nothing about, it, both the medical community and the financial community, there's a lot of pushback, you know, that you'll get. Um, and a lot of, um, uh, yeah, I mean, just pushback. If you don't have your ducks in a row and you don't have all the things lined up, lined up properly, navigating those systems is overwhelming. And there's just so many hurdles that can really become nightmares uh, without the right tools and resources. And you're you're kind of learning a, a new language, right? And so, um, just like we talked about earlier, it's it's having a well organized plan just helps you navigate those things and kind of know. Um, what is coming and know how to be a good advocate for your loved one. The advocacy piece, that's why I start with it in the book. It's so important, especially for a loved one with dementia, because, you know, you are going to, you're going to receive a lot of misinformation and a lot of pushback and a lot of hurdles that, um, you know, you just, you have to be prepared for and you have to be able to to withstand them. Otherwise you're just going to feel like you're kind of standing in an ocean, getting hit over and over again by waves and just, you're not able to get back up and get, get standing again. So it's, um, yeah, I just, and that's another reason why I put so much emphasis on having a team of professionals that can help you navigate because becoming a caregiver, sometimes it happens overnight, but you're, how could you become an expert in all these areas overnight? It's just not possible, right? Like you might, you might, um, 
uh, you're, you're going to need help. You're going to need people. You're going to seek out people that can help you, that can give you advice and tools and resources that you need to be effective. It really, um, I would say it takes a village, you know, to, to care for an aging parent. And um, we seek out consultants and ex- experts in all other different areas of our life. We're not going to build a house on our own without a contractor and an engineer and an architect, but, you know, why would we approach this any differently, right? So, um, just finding finding those people, those professionals, the people that have the knowledge and expertise that you need to come around you and help you through the process. Yeah, you said something that really just kind of hit home for me <laughs> because you said you know building a team, and like I literally do that in my life. I, I call it Team McDermott, and like my primary care physician is like the health lead for my team, and my financial advisor is my financial lead for the team. And I literally, I email them all the time. I'm like, hey, Team McDermott, this is what we're like thinking about right now. And this is kind of funny you say that because I'm like, yeah, I, I'm doing that now. I do that in my own life. And I guess I should do that. I should prepare, like, you know, as I get older, prepare all the things and, and identify the team, right, for for my you know loved ones in case I am in a situation where they need to take over and things like that. So it just, that was funny. It just struck me. So, uh, Pam, you know, we, we really enjoy your book, you know, especially your chapter on caring for the caregiver. You know, that's, that's really, that's literally our mission right here at the foundation is helping caregivers on the journey. And, you know, as we often say, you know, it's a job that many of us enter with zero experience. And like Michelle said, I said earlier, you know, we just, we learn things every day. It's like, oh my God, I wish we had known that back then. And, you know, often, you know, and you're thrust into the situation was really not a lot of time to learn. Like, I mean, you're, you're thrust into some very hard, physical, emotional situations, and then you're having to do some very intellectual things, like all the stuff you just talked about, like financial planning and, and, and legal planning and, you know, all the medical documents. And so, you know, just as we learn one thing, another crisis comes along. So it's a job that really can be, you know, beautiful at times and really just full of despair and fear, you know, in, in the same day. Right. And um, so thank you for all that you're doing for our aging community and, and how you're really arming caregivers with what they need to not only survive, but, but thrive, you know, through this process. And that's really our mission, right. And we talk about, you know, what we're trying to do is like, we're, we're trying to get people to, you know, caregivers that go through this journey to to really come out on the other end stronger, you know, and not not broke and broken. You know? That's right. Yeah, that's what I hope for too, Sean. And and people always bring up that chapter so much so that I think another book might have to be written <laughs> because there's so much there. I, I pack a lot into a, a small chapter just for sake of how long the book already is. But you know, I think it's just important for us as caregivers to recognize that we're going to experience an array of emotions, like you said, ups and downs, and they can happen in the course of a day. And some we may not even expect, you know, like you said, the fear and the guilt, and sometimes there's resentment and all these different emotions that come along with it that we have to be prepared to walk through and to deal with, you know, not to just sweep them under the rug. And unfortunately, the nature of a caregiver is to take care of others first and often at the detriment of ourselves. And so, you know, I think just highlighting those self-care tactics, one of them being dealing with those emotions, seeking out therapy, not letting those things just 
kind of creep under the surface is a really important message for all the caregivers out there. So again, I just thank you guys for the opportunity to highlight some of these important topics and just give encouragement to caregivers out there. You know, we are truly all in this together. We are all in this together. And I I really want to make sure to say, sometimes I think we talk so much about the tactical part of this journey and the, you know, the, the things you need to do. Um, but really the, the major point is when you do these things or when you're able to do these things, the journey of caregiving, especially to someone with Alzheimer's can really be a beautiful thing. Like this is not an awful thing. Like you'll be able to find the beauty instead of drowning with all of the hard things, right? Because there really are some beautiful things. And, you know, Sean and I talk all the time, like, so why, why it's so fascinating to me that dad could not remember who we were, right? But he never forgot that he, you know, couldn't stand this particular politician, you know, like, so it's fascinating, you know, and this isn't something that was in the book, but I do want to, it kind of ties to this, you know, when your loved one is maybe not remembering you or it's, or identifying you as like, in your case, your mom, me, I was the same. My dad, I mean, awkward. I was like his girlfriend. My good friend right now is experiencing that where her dad keeps telling her she's a beautiful woman, but he doesn't know she's his daughter. You know, so those are really painful things to go through, but there's so many beautiful things too. And when you can follow the guidance that you're giving and you can really look at the big picture and say, you know, if I can plan, I can take this stress off of myself. If I can remember to make myself a priority, I can take that stress off of myself. And you're freeing up time to really see the beautiful things because otherwise you miss it. And that makes me sad, right? It makes me sad when people miss the beautiful things because they're buried. They're just buried in the day to day. So again, you know, thank you so much for spending time with us. And what does your next chapter look like? You kind of already said that, right? But law school in the fall is where you're heading? Yeah. Yeah. So I I took the last few years to kind of explore um, the career opportunity of getting into state and elder law and kind of determine if if that was a good vehicle for me to kind of take my life's passions and move forward. Yeah. I mean, it just, from the minute I started working as a paralegal in, in this field, I just absolutely fell in love with it and all the opportunity that there, that there is really to get out there and, and, spread this word and educate people and, and help people plan better. So yeah, now I'm uh, still working part-time as a, as a paralegal and, and raising my, my boys. And I'll be, um, I'll be starting law school at the University of Syracuse in New York in August. So a uh, brand new undertaking for me. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, congratulations. congratulations. <laughs> so we want to plug your book a little bit, right? So your book, you know, mm-hmm. Caring with Confidence, Take the Guesswork Out of Caregiving is available yeah. on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, right? So yes. we encourage mm-hmm. everybody to, to, to get it where there's actually going to be links in the show notes below. So Pam, again, thank you very much for coming on. This has been, it's always a pleasure talking to you and, and, we may not talk to you for a while because you're going to be so busy, you know, raising kids and going to law school. So <laughs> yeah. good luck with that. And, and you. you know, we'd love to have you back on. Yes, Pam, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much again. Thanks for listening. For more resources and information, visit winwardfoundation.org.